Monet, make money and the place to be. No matter if you low po, friend or foe. Thanks for tuning in. I'm a French vanilla queen from the south side of the shy. Yeah, them guns got red beans, but that fool's be fire. And we lacing up our Jordans, praying we can fly when we crossing over bullets, trying to stay alive. There's no books to this life, but the stories are great. Grab a lesson, get a laugh, learn from all my mistakes. I'll never fold ten toes, they discontinue my mate. No time for these clowns, I got money to make. Could have been with anyone, but you're here with me. Monet, make money and the place to be. No matter if you low po, friend or foe. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Monet McMoney Show, everyone. You know what really gathers my panties in a bunch and irritates me? Men with wealth and power because they are the biggest chauvinistic pigs. They think that because of their life's accomplishments that they are entitled to whoever they want and whenever they want them. They treat people, especially women, as if they are objects, just another toy to play with. You know the type, the R. Kellys who piss on girls, hog tie them and lock them up like slaves or the Jeffrey Epsteins of the world that frolic with the ultra-powerful 1% and take advantage of the young girls on Pedophile Island. I learned the game as a young child, and unfortunately, my experience caused a lot of anger and mental anguish. But I grew from it, and now I'm able to recognize it immediately in these sickos perpetrating as men. Picture it, Battle Creek, Michigan, 1987. My mother has always been a hustler. I felt that she loved the streets more than she loved me. And at one point, she had to flee from Chicago to Battle Creek, Michigan in her father's arms. Now, her father owned multiple real estate in Battle Creek, Michigan, so it was no problem for her to move into one of his houses. But that never stopped her from running the streets. But she prioritized the streets over me any chance she got until that fateful night that she didn't come home. I was at home alone for three days straight. No food in the refrigerator and scared to death. I chose as a little girl to hide in the walk-in closet in the living room and cry my eyes out, hoping and praying that my tears would bring my mother back home. But on that third day, I didn't hear my mother coming up those stairs. Instead, I heard my grandfather come up the stairs and he was looking for me, calling me by my nickname, Stuff. Stuff, where you at, Stuff? I can hear you, Stuff, where you at? And I cried louder. He found me in the walk-in closet, picked me up, put me over his shoulder, rubbed my back and said, baby, it's gonna be all right. Come on, I'ma let you ride on my motorcycle and we gonna go to the Dairy Queen and I'ma buy you an ice cream cone and get you whatever you want to eat. He dried my eyes, put me on the back of his bike, Grandpa always knew the right things to say. He knew I loved to ride on the back of their motorcycle just as much as I love butterscotch dipped ice cream cones. So when he wiped my tears and put me on the back of the motorcycle for that drive to the Dairy Queen, all my worries of my mother not coming home left my soul because I felt like I was saved now and I would see my mother sooner than later. As we were eating at the Dairy Queen and I was enjoying my ice cream, my grandfather broke the news to me. He said, stuff, your mama got caught up in some things and she's not coming back home, so I gotta take you to the farm and drop you off because I'm not gonna be able to take care of you. But it's gonna be okay stuff. As a little girl, I trusted my grandfather and I felt like everything was gonna be okay because he said it would. So we hopped back on the motorcycle and we rode to Paw Paw, Michigan, where my great grandparents owned a farm. Hundreds of acres of land, apple trees, 
blackberry bushes, cornfields, any vegetable you can name. The special thing about this farm was all of my great-grandparents' children built houses on the land. So I had a plethora of cousins to play with and I got to see my aunts and my uncles and my great grandparents and I was surrounded with love on the farm. One thing I did know was my great grandfather, he wasn't nobody to play with. He was a wealthy, powerful man who didn't have a conscience. And if you don't have a conscience, you don't have a soul. That man was a murderer to the point that he buried bodies underneath his children's houses and nobody took him to jail. Everyone on the farm feared this man and I never knew why until that day that my great grandmother asked him to go to the store and pick up some groceries for dinner and I asked if I could ride along with him. We hopped in his Cadillac and I was too young to ride in the front seat so I hopped in the back seat with kitty things on my mind. I was thinking, hey, when I get to the store, maybe great grandpa will buy me some candy or a toy or maybe even some ice cream. So when we pulled up to the store and he parked the car, me being a sweet, innocent little girl said, great grandpa, can I have $5? And he turned around and looked at me in the back seat with a sinister look in his eye and a sick grin on his face. And he said, why, yes, Monet, I'll give that to you, but you gotta let me touch you. And I didn't know what he was talking about. So I froze and I looked at him in confusion on that leather Cadillac seat. He took his hands and put them down my pants and began to fondle me. I was stuck in a whirlwind. I didn't know what was going on. And he grinned and licked his lips and was rubbing himself with his other hand as he was fondling me. He did this for about five minutes and this was the longest five minutes I've ever experienced in my life. He then took his hand out of my pants, grabbed $5 out of his pocket, and gave it to me. Now, as a child, I didn't know how to feel. But the one emotion I did feel was fear, especially when he said, now, nah, little girl, you keep this secret between me and you. Don't tell nobody. You understand me? I nodded my head, yes. He got out the car, opened my back door, and grabbed my hand as we walked into the store. Fear ran through my mind because all I can picture was great grandpa with his shotgun using it on me if I said anything to anybody. So I asked him, great grandpa, can I go to the toy aisle and pick me out something while you get everything that you have to get out of the store? And he said, go ahead, girl, I'll find you in the toy aisle. So I went to the toy aisle and I found this duck. It was a plastic duck made like a stained glass duck that comes with a paint set that you can paint in the colors that you like. And at that moment, I felt like a duck. Calm on the surface, but panicking underneath. Grab my duck, saw him come around the aisle. He grabbed my hand and we walked to the front to check out. We got back in the Cadillac and all I could think of in the back seat was I hope he doesn't touch me again. I hope he doesn't stop the car and turn around and do anything else to me. I just wanna go home and get around my other family and maybe he won't do it again. We got back to the house. I sat at the kitchen table and I painted my duck quietly. But every time I would look up, my great grandfather would be staring at me with that same sinister look licking his lips 
But I never said anything. I kept quiet. I ate dinner, and now it was time to go to bed. Now that night, I went and slept over my auntie's house with my cousins. And I did that for the first couple of days that I was on the farm until my great-grandmother and great-grandfather requested for me to come back to their house and sleep. My auntie must have known something, which is his daughter, because she came over to the house with me and slept with me in the bedroom. He would get up in the middle of the night and knock on the door dramatically, and she would tell him, go back to bed, daddy, I'm in here. And he would turn around and go back to bed. A couple of days passed with my auntie spending the night and sleeping with me in the room, and then my other auntie from Chicago, who was my mother's sister, came down to take me school shopping for the school year. At least that's what she told my great-grandmother and great-grandfather. But when I hopped in the car with her to go school shopping, we bypassed the stores and took a trip to Chicago. She took me to my grandmother's house. Now, when I arrived to my grandmother's house, she kept it 100 with me. She said, she said, my sweet little girl, your mother is doing a bid at the penitentiary. I'm taking over custody of you. I'm going to raise you and you're never going to have to worry about a place to live. This will always be your home. I felt safe and secure and I didn't want to make her mad or seem like damaged goods to her. So I never mentioned to her what great grandpa did to me on the farm. I just act like it never happened and remained like a duck panicking on the inside, anxiety, anger, but looking calm on the outside. Once I reached a teenager, a lot of secrets from the family came to light. And what I found out was great grandpa was the pedophile of the family. He molested every single girl in the family, including my mother, his children. It was even rumored that he had a baby by his daughter. I know you're wondering, hey, he was married. She never said anything? And the answer is no. Great grandmother turned a blind eye and allowed him to molest every single girl in the family without reporting him to the police and without stopping him. And the reason being is because he was a powerful, wealthy man who instilled fear in her heart. She had multiple kids by this man and she relied on him for financial security and the lifestyle that she was living. And she did not want to give up her man to the system because if she did that, she would be giving up her lifestyle. In her eyes, the hell with the mental illnesses that he's causing in the young girls and to hell with the anger and the dysfunctionality that these children are going to have to grow up with. Because as long as she can maintain her lifestyle and maintain her wealth and maintain her power for being his wife that's all that mattered but it gets worse once I reunited with my mother as a teenager she still put the streets before me so she never got back custody of me but I did visit her and I thought because she got molested that I can share what happened to me with her and maybe she would do something about it so one summer I saw my mother and I said mom great-grandpa molested me as a child and she said well did you ask him for something I said yeah I asked him for five dollars and she looked me dead in my eyes and said huh well you shouldn't have never asked him for nothing that statement hurt me so bad because I love my mother so much and I knew that she had experienced what I experienced and I thought that maybe she would have my back or even go confront him but instead I just got that response 
you shouldn't have never asked him for nothing. And that sat with me for my whole life. I also found out that my grandmother sent my auntie to the farm in hopes of my great-grandfather not molesting me because she was well aware that he was the family pedophile as well. But because he was so crazy, a murderer, powerful to the point that he wouldn't do any jail time and wealthy that he can pay off anybody to do anything to anyone, she never said anything either. Now, once high school came around, my grandmother was unable to take care of me and she sent me with my biological father. And once I moved in with him, he set me down and had a conversation with me. He said, Monet, I expect you to get A's and B's. Do you understand that? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, you know you're gonna have to have paper and pens and school supplies in order to do so. I said, yes, sir. He said, I, I see that you like nice things. You like nice clothes and you like nice shoes. I said, yes, I do. He said, well, in order for you to get those things, you're gonna have to get a job and pay your own way. I said, huh? I'm only 14. I can't get a job. He said, well, guess what? You're gonna have to figure it out. I did what I had to do because I was scared of this man. He was a big guy, like Suge Knight. He was very aggressive in the way he talked, and I wasn't really familiar with who he was. I just had fear in my heart for men. So I walked three blocks down the street to Sammy's, which is an Italian beef gyro spot in the neighborhood. I talked to the owners of the restaurant, and I told them that my father told me that I had to get a job because I had to buy my own clothes and my school supplies and that he wasn't gonna do anything for me. They felt bad for me. They said, Monet, don't worry about it. You can be our cashier and we'll pay you under the tape. And I held a job from the time I was 14 all the way through high school, all the way through my adult life and to this day. As a matter of fact, sometimes I held two, three or four jobs. So I want to thank my great-grandfather and my father because they instilled in me to be an independent woman and not to depend on a man for anything and not to fix my lips and ask a man for anything. Because when you ask a man for something, they operate off of the quid pro quo, which is, I'll give you what you asked me for as long as you give me what I ask you for. That feeling that my great-grandfather gave me, I never want to feel that way again in my life. And I made it a point to never ask a man for anything. I made it a point to take care of myself my entire life. I've never had any handouts and I've never been objectified. I can look myself in the mirror every day and I'm proud of what I see. Child sexual abuse, otherwise known as pedophilia, is a psychiatric disorder in which an adult or older adolescent experiences a primary or exclusive sexual attraction to children. And it's been going on since the 19th century. It's a mental disorder that causes mental disorders. Men and women exhibit this disorder, family members and strangers. There is no face to pedophilia. There is no cure for pedophilia. So you must teach your children to come to you if they don't feel comfortable around anybody. And you must have your child's back. But most importantly, protect your child by being there and drown them in education, attention, and love. Once you have a child, your life is no longer yours. It's that child's. It's too many women out here that use children as pawns. They think that if they have a child by a man that they'll keep that man. Or sometimes they have children to collect checks from the state. Or sometimes they have children just to say, hey, I got a baby and I got a baby daddy. And nine times out of 10, they're children having children. They're not ready to be fully dedicated to that child 
They don't know what it is to be a loving mother. They haven't had a parent or parents around to show them how to properly be a parent. They don't have a stable household. They're not ready to stop running the streets. It's so many factors that parents who are not ready to have children exhibit that it's adults walking around here today with traumas and issues that they went through as children that they haven't even gotten over. And that's where the mental illness comes in. So I would just like to ask women out here to please keep your legs closed or use protection if you like to have that sexual pleasure that's overrated anyway. Because sex without love is overrated. Let's just put that out there. Stay protected so you don't bring a child that you're not ready to be there for or not ready to raise in this world. And please remember, I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Thank you for listening to the Monamic Money Show. If you're an adolescent and you've been sexually abused with no one to talk to and nowhere to escape, please call the Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673 to be connected with a trained staff member from a service provider in your area. And if you have any comments, feedback, or experiences you'd like to share about this show, please email me at monamicmoney at gmail.com and follow me at all social media platforms at monamicmoney. And if you'd like to show me a little love, you can always do so through my cash app at monamicmoney. And until we meet again, faith, hope, and love. But the biggest out of the three is love. I'll holla at y'all later.